as I was uh, laying in my hospital bed this past week at UCLA Medical Center, and oh, oh, by the way, um, one of a USC alum who attends our church, when he found out that I was at UCLA, called uh, to tell me that he would commit to doubling his prayers on my behalf. <laughs> so just a little local thing here in Southern California that you can only appreciate. But anyway, as I was laying in my bed, I was reminded of the following true story. Uh, a few years ago, Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was a, had a very uh, successful coaching career in the National Basketball Association, uh, found himself coaching a not-so-very-good team. In fact, the team he was coaching that year was so bad that it was on its way to, become, to becoming the all-time losingest team in NBA history. So he was challenged to find a new way to motivate his despondent players, and he came up with what he would go on to call his let's pretend strategy. And so he gathered everybody together, the team, before the, before the game, and his traditional pregame pep talk, and he told them the following. He said, gentlemen, he said, let's pretend we're the returning NBA champions, and today our opponent is here to take that title from us. He said, let's pretend it's game seven of the NBA finals and that we are the best team with the best players playing before the best fans in the NBA. Let's pretend we're undefeated and that a victory today would make us the all-time greatest team in NBA history. And he went on for another 30 minutes, and I know I've seen this happen before. How in the world he did it, I don't know. But he went on for another 30 minutes with his let's pretend strategy. And by the time he was done, everyone was fired up. They were like, man, they, were, they couldn't wait to get out and hit the hardwood. And they were fired up. They got out there, and for the first quarter, they played inspired basketball. It was unbelievable that this same group that was such a losing team could go out and dominate the way that they did in the first quarter. And then reality set in. <laughs> then there was a second quarter, and a third, and a fourth. And make a long story short, they went on to lose that game by the largest margin they had lost any game all season long. And they all went back in the locker room, despondent, their heads down. It was a desperate situation. And, and Coach Fitzsimmons, who has never at a loss for words how to motivate men, didn't know what to say. And it was just deathly quiet in the room. And finally, one of his players, recognizing what was going on, stood up in the middle of everybody and said, Coach... Don't feel so bad. Just pretend we won. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I thought, man, that is a great story. It's funny, but it's not so funny when folks live the let's pretend philosophy at the expense of reality. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've, I've met with many people over the past several years I've met with couples who have come with the let's pretend we don't have any marital problems. You know, let's pretend that we don't have financial problems. Let's pretend our child isn't a special need child. Let's pretend that reality isn't real. I've met with individuals. Let's pretend that I don't have a drug problem or a lying problem or an alcohol problem. Let's pretend that I don't have a sexual immorality problem. Hey, I know. Let's pretend that we're married. You know, let's pretend. I've been tempted to play the let's pretend game, and I'm sure that you have. When I saw that lump, I wanted to pray, play the let's pretend that this is just a swollen lymph node. You know, I, I, let's pretend. And as I thought about that, and I thought about how many times in the world we are tempted to pray, play let's pretend. I remember a few years back where I was playing the let's pretend that our Broadcom stock would go back up to 275 bucks a share. <laughs> you know, it was like that, that, that game didn't work either. So it's kind of like, you know, the let's pretend game just doesn't work. And I've come to the conclusion and the point of what I'm trying to say is this. Nothing constructive comes out of the let's pretend philosophy of living. Nothing positive comes out of denying reality. And the most dangerous let's pretend game that is played today is let's pretend there is no God. Let's pretend there is no God to whom I must give an account for my life. Let's pretend that I do not have to answer to him. Let us pretend that he will not hold us accountable for sin. 
Let's pretend that he will not judge. Let's pretend that hell is not real. Let's pretend. And there is nothing as desperately wicked in the tactic or strategy of our enemy than to get us to buy into the let's pretend game. Fortunately for us, Dr. Luke gives a real look at humanity. He shows us our warts and all. And as a physician, he focuses our attention on the brokenness of man, the frailty of humanity. And who better than a physician to point out our desperate need for the great physician? You know, there is no better place to learn this lesson, and there is no place I'd rather be today than to share the insights of the passage that we're about to look at after spending a week on my back lying in a hospital, looking around and recognizing the desperate situation of humanity. The frailty of humanity, the brokenness of mankind. And I just I couldn't help but picture Dr. Luke, a physician, as he focuses our attention often on the frailty of man. And as we look at this, it gives us a whole new understanding and a whole new insight into what he wants to share with us. You know, and I was thinking, and I was struck by the fact that, you know, no matter how wonderful or excellent a physician or specialist, and I praise God for the man that he brought us to, humanly speaking, a wonderful man who loves people, who loves what he does. And I mean, and there's no way that anyone would dedicate themselves to medicine without a love or compassion for people. The hours are unbelievable. What they go through is incredible. The times that I saw them, it's like, hey, man, it's 5 in the morning. Don't you ever go home and sleep? It's like, you know, it's just incredible. And yet I thought, and my heart was broken when I realized that every physician, every, every specialist, every doctor ultimately is a failure to his or her patient because eventually not only will he lose them, he will also lose himself or herself to man's greatest enemy, and that's death. I mean, think about that. No matter how hard we try to save one another, it is not in our ability to do so. We can do the best we can and praise God for our attempts and our efforts, but at the end of the day, there's only one who is the great physician who can give us our greatest need. And we're going to look at that in this particular passage. Today in our ongoing study of, of, of Luke's account of the life of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're introduced to a man who had the right philosophy of life, for he came to Jesus with an attitude of expecting miracles, accepting God's perfect will. When I woke up on Tuesday after surgery, I couldn't help but be, you know, you got a million thoughts that are going through your head, and I, and I looked at Lynn and I said, you know what, I got, the, I got a great sermon title. And I was like, what? I was like, I got a, this is a great sermon title. Expecting miracles, accepting God's perfect will. And that's what we find right here in Luke chapter 5. So I had to come. <laughs> Verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> and it came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and greater multitudes were gathering to hear him, to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. From this man's approach to Jesus, we learn of four things that are true of healings which bring glory to God. You know, the Bible clearly teaches and tells us that the healing of physical ailments glorifies God. And in fact, in Luke's gospel alone, we see several such examples. Turn with me ahead just a couple of passages to Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 11. And we see an example of how physical healing brought glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Starting with verse 11 of Luke 7, it says, And it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. 
And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother, and fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding district. As I read this passage, I was, I was struck by the compassion where Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of humanity, felt compassion for this woman who was going through this great loss. And feeling compassion, he was moved to action. Compassion and action. He was moved to action. And he reached down and stopped the coffin. And he spoke the word. And should we be surprised that the same God who spoke the universe into existence could not speak a word and say, arise and come forward. The same word of God that created all of the universe, we see the very power of the word of God. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God that's living and active. The word of God that's powerful. The word of God that's able to to convict men's hearts of sin and bring us to repentance and brokenness so that we can come to the cross and trust in Christ. It's the word of God that draws us to the Lord himself. And Jesus' word, he said, arise, Lazarus, come forth. It was the word of God spoken with power and authority and all of nature and all of creation obeys God's word and his commands. We see this wonderful picture of the power of the word of God. In Luke chapter 13, we see another example of how healing physical ailments brought glory to God. In Luke 13, in verse 10, we read, And he was teaching one of the, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And that tells you everything that you ever need to know about Satan and demons. They hate people. The devil hates humanity. He is a liar. He is a murderer. He tries to entice us to do those things that are wrong before God because he is hell-bent on destroying humanity. This woman was tortured for 18 years because of a demon who oppressed her and hated her and wanted her life filled with misery. And when we look at this, we find that Jesus saw her. He called her over and said to her, "'Woman, you are freed from your sickness.'" And not only did he speak this word, but he laid his hands upon her. And immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Praising God for what he had just done in her life. In Luke chapter 17, another example, and this one parallels to some degree the account that we're looking at in Luke chapter 5. But it relates to ten lepers. And in verse 11 of chapter 17, it came about while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices and they yelled out to him saying, Master, Jesus, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. An act of faith. Faith always requires action. By grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so no one can boast. But faith is action. If you read Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Abraham left a land he was comfortable with and followed God. It was by faith that Moses left Egypt and all the bondage and all the oppression was there, but there was still a comfort level that was there as well because they knew what to expect. But it was by faith Moses left Egypt and he acted upon the command of God to go somewhere that he didn't know where he was going, didn't know where God was leading, didn't know what to expect, but he went there anyway because God told him to by faith and if you go through hebrews 11 every person that's there acted upon faith because they were told by god to do something they didn't have all the answers and they said we'll go anyway we're on a need to know basis and we trust that you are faithful and you will declare to us or you will reveal to us or you will make known to us whatever it is you want us to know but all i know now is that this is what you want me to do and so i did it if you remember from the last message the fact that andrew and 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 and, and Peter went to deeper water was only because they left the shore and went to the shallow water. 
He said, just push off a little bit. And by faith, they pushed off a little bit and were in a position to go out and experience the greater things of God. Is God talking to you today? Is he saying, step out in faith and follow my leading and my direction? See, I believe the sin that so easily entangles us in context of Hebrews chapter 12 follows Hebrews 11. And the sin that so easily entangles most of us is the sin of unbelief, the sin of lack of trust, the the sin of not believing God when he tells us to take action. We're not sure we can trust him. But these great men and women of faith, the hall of faith, the only hall of fame in history that will live for all of eternity. I've had the joy and the, and the experience of going back to Canton, Ohio several years ago when two of our good friends were inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame. It was a wonderful experience. It was a great time. It was such a blessing to see men who had worked so hard in their life be recognized by their peers for what they had accomplished. But I couldn't help but think after I left, you know what? But all of this one day will burn up. And so will Cooperstown and so will every other institution that's here on earth to recognize the accomplishments of men because it's only the word of God and the souls of people who will last for eternity. So as we look at this, we recognize that as we're going through, they were, they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, one out of the ten turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And I look at that and it was a sad indictment of the nation of Israel. Because he was trying to get a point across that, you know, just like Naaman and the day of Elisha was healed. He was a Gentile. And he's saying that, you know, God healed the Gentile. And the Gentile recognized how unworthy he was to be touched by God. And he glorified him and praised him. And the other nine went away feeling self-righteous that, well, what did you expect? We're God's chosen people. He owed it to us. And there's a parallel there that I want you to keep in mind as we go back now to Luke chapter 5. Because the physical healings performed by Jesus identifies him clearly as God's long-promised Savior to mankind. God has visited us. In Luke 19.10, the theme verse of the Gospel of Luke, we're told that Jesus said himself that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The physical healings of Jesus also were to convey a spiritual message, as we'll see in our message next week. You know, his, his authority over the physical indicates his authority over the spiritual realm. And he used physical healings to be able to demonstrate, he'd say, hey, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your pallet and walk? And the obvious answer is, hey, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven than it is to tell somebody who's never walked to walk. And so Jesus said, in order to show that all authority has been given to me, take up your pallet and walk, and therefore I can also forgive sins for those who come to me. It's a wonderful passage that we'll look at, and it also relates to how we should respond to people in our life that are in desperate need of the touch of the great physician. But for now, as we go back to Luke chapter 5, what four lessons can we learn from this leprous man's healing, a healing that truly brought glory to God? Number one, we learn this, that such healing recognizes the greatness of the Lord. The greatness of our Lord, as we see this in verse 12, we're told and it came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. He was full of leprosy. This is a medical description of the man's condition. He is full of leprosy. Luke wants us to understand and recognize that this man wasn't in the beginning stages. This man wasn't waiting for the pathology reports to come back. This man had been diagnosed and every person that knew him and every person that saw him were totally convinced that he was beyond any human help. He was toast. He was done. It was over for him. And we know now from medical history, people like Dr. Paul Brand who work with Hansen's disease, which is what leprosy is called, uh, know that when a person had leprosy, what would happen to them is they would, they would lose all of their feelings or their sensation. Their nerve endings would become deadened and they would be numb to feeling. 
And oftentimes what would happen is as the disease continued to progress, people would injure themselves because they couldn't feel pain. If you stop and think about it, if you don't feel pain, you would just continue to proceed on as if you never felt pain. And that's why it's so dangerous. And what would happen is, you know, they would be out and they'd have to make their own food unless their family would come and leave their food for them at a distance and come to a certain point where they would be able to get food. But otherwise, they'd have to make their own food. And they might get too close to to the fire. And as they did and their nerve endings were dead, all of a sudden, they might leave three fingers in the fire. And you'd just end up with a stub. You'd end up like that. Or you'd go out and you'd be chopping wood or you'd be cutting wood for a fire. And you'd chop your finger with a knife and you might chop, chop your finger off. And oftentimes when you see people with leprosy, they would have stubs for hands or they'd have no toes on their feet or they might not even have a hand at all. And they were just a mess. This man was as bad as it gets. He was a total, absolute mess. And you know, the Bible pictures leprosy as a word picture of sin. And what I get from this is simply God's view of humanity. And that is this. We are a total mess. We are a total, absolute mess before God. We are terminal. It is over for us. There is no hope for us outside of Jesus Christ. We're a mess. It's done. The death sentence, the death certificate has already been signed. None are righteous, not one of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As this man was full of leprosy, you and I are full of sin. And the way that I know that that is true, and that is the word picture that God gives us, and this is a very uncomfortable thing because we just want to play let's pretend. King David prayed, crying out to God in Psalm 51, 7, After his sins of adultery and murder, he cried out to God and said, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. According to Leviticus 14, a whole passage on the cleansing rituals or purification process for leprosy. In verse 49, hyssop was used in cleansing the house of a leper. He said, Purify me with hyssop. This sin is as if I am full of leprosy. I am so full of sin. So we understand from God's word that leprosy was a picture of sin. And through this physical disease, God teaches great spiritual truth. The Bible clearly teaches that all of humanity is so full of sin that we are dead to God. We are so full of sin. We are not, as some pretend to believe, in the let's pretend philosophy of life that some of us are 70% good, 30% bad. 60-40, some days 50-50. On a bad day, this scale goes 40-50, 40-60, whatever it is. But you know what? Uh, Stop pretending. Because God says this. We're 0% good and 100% full of sin. And if you don't believe what God says, or you don't believe what I'm saying, turn ahead to the book of Ephesians and listen clearly to what Paul writes to to the church at Ephesus regarding their previous condition. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we read this word. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were full of sin to the point that you were dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them, we too, even Paul, the great apostle Paul, this great man of God, he says, we too, even I was dead in my sins. Even I, too, lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. 
even as the rest. And I read this and go, man, those who are still dead to God are like a leper. They are numb to the consequences of sin. They are numb to their condition. They don't see, they don't hear, they don't feel, they don't smell. They live in oblivion to their their own destructive choices because they simply cannot tell the difference. They don't know any better. They don't have an understanding. It is in their nature to do what comes naturally as it is in our nature then to do what came naturally to us. And we ask the question, then where is our hope? Where do we turn? And he says in verse 4, but God. But God. The great turning point, the great contrast is where do I turn? I'm such a mess. Where do I go? He says, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If you have repented of sin and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it is a done deal. It is past tense. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. Past tense, at that moment in time of great faith in Christ and his works on the cross, the power of his resurrection, he made us alive together with Christ. He has raised us up already with him. He has seated us already with him in the heavenly places. And why did he do it? Because we deserved it? Because we've got any goodness in us at all? No, he says, for the purpose that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. To show what an awesome, wonderful, loving God that we have. What a wonderful creator. By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. How can anyone ever say that God doesn't love humanity when you look around and see everything that He has given us? And then to think about the fact that He has given us His very best for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting love. The enemy wants to come in our life and the strategy or the tactic of the devil is to cause us to question the love of God. You really think God loves you? What are you doing lying in a hospital with cancer, man? What kind of God is that? Oh, don't give me scripture about, you know, it's a thorn in the flesh. And don't give me scripture about how it's to keep you from being boastful. You know what? It's because he doesn't love you. And the battle goes on and, and we hear the whispers of the enemy. And yet we go to the word of God and we get clarity. And we see that that is just a lie from the pit of hell. God has already raised us up. God has already seated us in the heavenlies with Christ. He has already performed it. It is a done deal. It is secure. We are in His hands. He will never lose one of us who has genuinely trusted and turned to Him in faith by His grace. We bow down before Him at the cross believing that He died for us and He has risen again. And He says, comfort one another with these words because everything else is a lie from the pit of hell. Man, this is good stuff. You know, when you go through and go, you know, man's only hope is God's great love. The Father loved us. He gave us His Son. Jesus Christ loves you. He went to the cross voluntarily on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit loves us because He convicts us of sin. And He convinces us of the Word of God. And He has the power to raise us from the dead. The totality of, of, the, of the personhood of God. God the Father loves us. God the Son loves us. God the Spirit loves us. God loves us. And we need to recognize that as truth from the word of God, because he has demonstrated his great love for us, and yet while we were sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. It's awesome. Man's only hope is but God. The same God who breathed life into dirt and man became a living being is the same God, physical and spiritual life from God, from, comes from God alone. Going back to Luke chapter 5. We're born again by the will of God. We're born again because it's the will of God and not by any action of our own. It's by God's grace through faith. It's a gift for those who believe and trust in Him and act upon His word in faith. Take that step of faith and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I will do as you say. 
faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Luke chapter 5. The question that I have as I go back there, have you heard? Have you responded? Have you repented of your sin? Have you responded with faith to the finished work of Christ? Yes or no? Stop playing, let's pretend. Let's pretend I'm okay with God by going to church. Let's pretend I'm okay with God by going to a Bible study. Let's pretend I'm okay with God by leaning on some external ritual. I was baptized as, I was, as a baby. I was baptized when I was an adult. I was confirmed. I was this. I was that. Stop playing let's pretend and ask the question, have you responded to the finished work of Christ on the cross for you by repenting of your sin, turning from sin, turning to God, trusting in Christ and Him alone, and believing in the power of His resurrection, have you received Him as your Lord and Savior? Either yes or no. Stop pretending. And today is the day of the Lord. Praise God that today could be that day where you stop pretending that you have a relationship with God. You either know you do or you don't. Because He gives us confidence and assurance It is his testimony to mankind that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. These things I have written to you that you may know you have eternal life. Back to Luke chapter 5. The leper recognized the greatness of the Lord, and it came about while he was in one of the cities. Behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he came to Jesus. Why did he come to Jesus? Man, the word is out on the street. Everybody heard about what he was doing. Demons listened to him. Diseases listened to him. He was healing everybody of every disease that ever had been heard in the history of mankind. Blind people were seeing. Deaf people were hearing. People couldn't walk were walking. Man, I mean, he'd soon be raising people from the dead. This man heard and he recognized, I have nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. And that's where he went. He had just heard him preach the greatest sermon ever preached by anybody in the world, Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. He had heard him say, you know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he came to Jesus, and he yelled as he approached him, yelling out before the multitudes of people, saying, unclean, unclean. What do you say? Stand back, stand back, leper coming through. He had to do that. That's what the law told him to do. He had to warn people that he was coming. If he was upwind, he had to stay 100 cubits away from people. If he was downwind, he had to stay 4 cubits. Cubit was about 18 inches. Do the math, figure it out. But don't do it now, do it later. And so the bottom line is he had to warn people, unclean. Hey, you know what? Think about it. Going through life, going, you know what? Stay away from me. I'm dirty. Unclean, unclean. And he still went to Jesus. Because he heard him say that a broken heart Those who are poor in spirit, he would not cast out. He heard him say that if you're broken hearted, you're despised by men, that God still loves you. And he came to Jesus. And I want you to notice what he said. Because healing that glorifies God relies upon the will of God. And not the will of man. He said, falling upon his face. And man, I'll tell you what, what a word picture that is. I I didn't know what that meant until this week. What it means to be so desperate. They say, Lord, and you bow down and you worship. He fell on his knees. He fell on his face. And he he knelt before him and he fell to his face and he said to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he said it over and over and over again. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. He came to Jesus expecting a miracle and accepting God's perfect will. Because what he was saying was, if you're not, That's okay. If you're not, that's okay. He came to Jesus and he indicated his submission to the will of God. And I want to share with you that submission to the will of God is the highest mark of spiritual maturity. Submission to the will of God 
is the highest mark of spiritual maturity. When you can say in whatever circumstance you're in in life, that Lord, nevertheless, your will be done, then you are where God wants you to be. See, because God's love doesn't seek its own, according to 1 Corinthians 13. So if you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, which is the greatest commandment, many of us say, oh, you know I do. So, well, that's true then, then you won't demand anything of God. If you really love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you will come as the leper does, and you will rely upon God's will, and you'll say, if it is in your will to make me clean, you can do it. But if it is not, I will still praise you to my dying breath. That's what Job said. If it's in your will to heal me, if it's in your will to restore to me everything that I've lost, then praise God. But if it's not, even if you choose to kill me, slay me, I will still trust in you. Because as believers who have trusted in Christ, we can't lose either way. Paul said, you know what? I'm torn between two worlds, man. I can't wait to see what God has in store for me because he already had a glimpse of heaven. So he knew what to look forward to in its entirety. And he said, I can't wait to get there, but at the same time, I don't want to leave here either because i got work to be done, and there's a whole bunch of people that need to hear the gospel. And God, that's what I'd like to do. But you know what? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And he was content in the will of God. Are you content in the will of God? Do you know to pray according to God's will? In 1 John chapter 5, we see this theology of the leper played out years later and given to us in writing by, by, the, by John. As John writes in 1 John chapter 5, he writes this. Verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that, what we have, that we have the request which we have asked from him. I've learned to ask God, what is it that I should be praying for? And when God tells me what to pray for, I know that he hears me because he's given the requ- he has given me what to request. And so I say, praise God for that. God, I, we, how should I pray? I don't know how to pray in this. I've never been through this. I don't know. How do you pray about this? Hey, you know what? Pray that my will be done. Okay, God, I'm praying your will be done. And I'm still listening to what else it is. Sometimes as tough as this may be to accept, it's not God's will to heal one's physical ailments. And it's important that we understand that. We need the full counsel of God. We need a balanced view of Scripture. Paul found that out in 2 Corinthians 12. It wasn't God's will to remove the thorn from his flesh because God you know, left it in his life to keep Paul from becoming too boastful of himself and to keep boasting in Christ. In fact, God often uses such suffering for his glory and his purposes. And I don't really have a problem with that because as I read my Bible, I learn that the chief end of man or the chief purpose of man is to bring glory to God. Therefore, we're to glorify him in our earthly bodies. And if he chooses to use our earthly bodies to bring him glory, and if that means that we have pain and suffering because of it, you know, the the disciples all thought they were blessed because they were persecuted for his name's sake. Man, that God would consider them worthy to suffer because they shared the gospel with others. Praise God for that. And in a particular situation in your life or my life or any of our lives, we've got to ask the question, Lord, you know what? We know what you can do. We know you can heal. We know you can raise the dead. But you know what? If you're willing, cleanse me. But if not, then use me to bring glory to you. It's awesome. I'll tell you what, it frees you up. It, you know, it just brings, bring, it gives you great peace because you recognize that, man, you know, uh, and who do we think we are at times to think we can go through life without suffering? We're pretty spoiled, you know, and we're really selfish people. I got a good glimpse of that at the hospital. I looked around and went, man, you know what? I've never experienced this. You know, and I praise God that I have. I, you know, it's not something I'd get in a line to sign up for. It's not like the table's outside, you know. There's a, you know here's one over here. Suffer for, you know. Nah, not today. <laughs> but, you know, so you look at that. And I know some of you are going like this. We're going to have a short sermon today? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, hey, I got here. I ain't going, so I have to. 
Anyway. We're, we're, we're getting close, though. But, 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 but you know, but be, before looking at this third and then the fourth point, which will wrap everything up, we learned something from the leper that I want to encourage us to look at and not miss. Folks, if you've never come to the cross of Christ, don't you let anybody stop you. Don't you let the sneers and the criticism and the objection of people in your life stop you from coming to the only one who can give you what you need. And that's peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The multitudes try to keep this guy from coming to Jesus. And you know what he said? You know what? Too bad. Tough. Because there is nowhere else to go and there is no one else to turn to. He is the promised one of God and we know that by what he is doing and if he is willing, he can make me clean and none of you people can do any of that for me. So excuse me, I'm going to the cross. I don't know how many times I was hesitant to go to Jesus because of the ridicule of people in my life. And you know what? And not one of them died for me on the cross according to the predetermined plan of God. Not one of them could have made a sacrifice acceptable to God as the Lord Jesus. And not one of them has ever been raised from the dead for my sins. So there is nowhere else to go but Jesus. And let me just tell you something. If you've not come to the cross because people are holding you back, none of them can save you from the wrath of God. None of them can save you from the judgment of God. And none of them can save you from the fiery pit of hell but the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and the power of his resurrection. And don't let them keep you from him. And on another note, don't you ever keep anyone from coming to Jesus. Don't you ever get in anyone's way. Don't you ever think that somebody is not worthy of God's grace in their life. The Bible is filled with redemptive stories of the most miserable people that ever walked the face of the earth. And Jesus Christ with his arms crucified and and held out before the world says, Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The Bible was filled with murderers and adulterers and fornicators and homosexuals. The Bible is filled with child molesters and every sin imaginable, every thief, every liar, every sin that you can think of. The Bible is filled with stories of men and women who were dead in their sins and their trespasses and they came to the cross and they were welcomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The self-righteous attitude of Christians who think that there are some people who are not worthy to be saved of their condition is just pharisaical, it is hypocritical, and it is not biblical, and it is not godly. There is no one who is beyond hope other than those who reject Jesus as their Savior and do so on their dying breath. Until we are gone from this world to the next, there is hope for every person because we know the power of the Word of God. Don't you ever frown on a child molester, a homosexual, an adulterer, a fornicator, a liar, a thief, anybody. Don't you ever look down on anyone because there by the grace of God went you and I. And such were some of us. And God even saves the self-righteous who think we don't need to be saved. The leper turned to Jesus because he said, come unto me, you. You, you are weary, you are heavy laden, you come to me and I will give you rest. And he did. And he took up the invitation. And now we find out the result. What is God's will for this man? Well, we got the answer. And he stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. It results in complete deliverance. When you go to the the Savior, the great physician as this leper was completely delivered. And let me tell you something, the stubs on his hand were made whole again. If he had seven fingers, four fingers, three fingers when he went to Jesus, he had ten when he left. If he had a stub for a foot and he didn't have a foot, he had two feet when he walked away dancing and leaping and praising God and giving glory to God for what he had just experienced. 
When God delivers people, He delivers us completely, safely, and eternally. When God delivers, He cleanses us immediately, completely delivers us from Satan, from sin, from eternal death. What else can be said as I was going through this? Who can't worship God when you understand that? Who shouldn't fall on their face when you understand that? Man, dead people can't do nothing. A corpse can't hear. A corpse can't feel. A corpse can't experience. Only God who gives life can breathe life into a dead person. It is all God and none of us. So we say, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May I live my life in such a way that is pleasing to you. And therefore, may this body glorify you because it's all about you and not about me. And lastly, physical or spiritual healing, and we'll close with this, it glorifies God, realizes there's a need for confirmation. Notice this. The leprosy left him. He ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. And so Jesus said, don't tell anybody, just go to the priest. I want you to go to them. And the question is, well, why? You know, there are some down-to-earth basic reasons, such as the possibility that the priests would hear about, you know, Jesus cleansing the leper, and they wouldn't believe him because they didn't want to believe it. They wanted to play let's pretend. Let's pretend we didn't see this leper cleansed by Jesus. Let's pretend we didn't see Lazarus raised by the dead by Jesus. Let's pretend we didn't see all these things happening because he doesn't fit the profile of what we think God should be. So let us pretend. And God said, you fool. You foolish people. There is nothing constructive or positive about living in a let's pretend world. Let's deal with reality. Jesus healed them. It was real. It was complete. It was full. And he went to the priests. And the biggest reason was because Jesus said, just as Moses commanded, for a testimony to them. Why did he say to go to the priests? Because this is a massive witness to the authority and the messiahship of Jesus Christ before the nation of Israel. It is a huge statement. Later in Luke 7, which we'll get to, when Jesus was asked the question by John the Baptist, are you the one or shall we wait for another? He read from Isaiah, and one of the things he said is, and lepers are cleansed. It was a sign, a real, true, everyday living sign that Jesus is and was at the time and is now and forever shall be God's chosen one to save the world from the consequences of sin. Go to the priest and show them what I just did so that they cannot continue to live, let's pretend, but at some point we'll have to deal with reality. Do you believe that I am your Savior or do you not? Will you accept me or will you reject me? But you have to make a choice. And you know, men and women, so must we. As we look at all this and put it all together, we must make a choice. We must decide if we're going to continue to play let's pretend that we're forgiven Or that we truly are. Let's pretend that we've repented from sin. Or let's truly do. Let's pretend that we've come to the cross. Or let's really do it. Let's pretend that I have faith in Christ and him alone. His death on the cross for me. And the power of his resurrection. Let's pretend that we're children of God. Or let's make sure we really are. Let's quit playing let's pretend with God. And get on our knees and learn from the leper these three things in conclusion. One, we must come to Christ with a deep awareness of sin. Do we acknowledge that we are sinners and that we have nothing in ourselves to commend us to God? Are we broken hearted and do we despise that sin? If so, we're ready for Christ's healing touch. Number two, we must bow before him in humble reverence. He came and he knelt before him. He bent his knee to God. The pride pride of man says, I will not bow my knee to anybody. But God says, unless you're broken, unless your spirit is broken, you can never come to the cross. 
We must humbly in reverence come to him, submit to him as our only hope, and tell God that if he does not save us, then we will be lost for eternity. Think about that. Lord, if it is your will to save me, I know you can. But if you chose not to, then I'm lost for eternity because there is nowhere else to go. I just thank God that a broken heart, God will never cast out. God will never turn a broken sinner away who comes to the cross. And finally, we must believe he can make us clean. Do you believe that he himself bore your sins on the cross so that you might die to sin and live for righteousness? For it's by his wounds you have been healed. Have you trusted in Jesus? Go to him, expecting miracles, accepting God's perfect will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. It is something that we don't take for granted, nor it is something that we take lightly. We praise you for the opportunity to be able to praise you as our Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those who have never repented of sin, recognized their need, have never humbled themselves before you, that today would be the day and that after the service that they would go out and meet people at the gazebo area who help them understand the decision they're about to make. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, may today be the day of the Lord. We're told that today is the day of the Spirit, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, God, I just pray that if there's someone here today, that they would pray a simple prayer, God, help me, for I'm just like the leper. I have nowhere else to go, and I never knew it till now. Forgive me of my sin. I trust that Jesus Christ and him alone died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And I receive him as the best, in the best way that I can and the best understanding I have at this time as the only Savior for my sin. I receive him as my Lord and Savior here and now. I believe that he can cleanse me and if it's his will. And we know that the word of God tells us that it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. So Lord, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you for the time that we have today that we can remember what you've done on the cross. And we just praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.